We're in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5.16. We'll read the verse, which is one of the shortest areas, and give a little preview of the other verses. 5.16, it says, rejoice always. So we were previously told to honor those in the ministry, those who minister the Word of God. That would involve any of the fivefold ministries, teaching, exhortation is preaching, instruction is teaching, prophecy, encouragement, all of them are part of expounding on the Word of God. All of it is prophecy if it's inspired. Sometimes it's not inspired, but we can be taught instructional teaching, and it can be boring. But it's still, the mind can receive it, the new mind, and use it. But it doesn't mean every time we hear a sermon or a teaching that it has to be the spirit moving. Sometimes the person hearing it is more receptive than the person giving it. But the Word of God will produce results even to the mind, the Christian mind, as he studies it. He can study it anytime he wants to. He can expound on it anytime. And this is what the apostle meant in Hebrews when he said you should be teachers by now. Every mature Christian should be able to instruct and expound on God's word. Doesn't mean they have to get up and exhort and preach and prophesy to people or have a public ministry. It means he's able to understand his mind can discern between good and evil and he can rightly divide the word of truth. Rightly handle it is actually what it means. So we're to honor those who minister the word of God, whoever they are. We're to be at peace with people where possible. Sometimes it's not possible. We have enemies, and the devil stirs them up. But as far as we're concerned, we don't stir the pot. We don't get involved with many of these things. People sometimes wouldn't debate and argue if we wouldn't answer them and let them go ahead and say what they want to say. Okay, we need to use wisdom at time. The Proverbs says, if you speak wisdom in the presence of a fool, it's like you're a fool yourself. You won't comprehend it. You don't want to hear it. You talk to people, and you sense they're waiting for you to shut up so they can give you their view, which often is not scriptural. And so that's what a fool is, okay? And we're to be careful not to waste time with fools, those who are not really receptive. That would be casting pearls before swine. When the context was used, it was for the Jews not to give that which was holy to the Gentiles. That's sort of where that came from. But it can apply in any situation. Don't give what's precious and spiritual to people who are not receptive. Even the Christians who are rebellious or in a bad state, sometimes they just need to be rebuked and ignored and not be put up with. Of course, most of the people we deal with in the world claim to be Christians, but we know very few of them meet the standards of what the Bible calls a Christian. Okay, so we're also, he warned to, he said, admonish the unruly. This means reprove the troublemakers in the fellowship. Uh, reprove the gossipers and those with unchristian actions who claim to be Christians among you. And if they are, 
You don't put up with it. Love does not bear that. When the scripture says love bears all things, it talks about wicked things. It talks about enduring. But Christians are told to rebuke those who are sinning. Even Jesus said, if your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he asks forgiveness, forgive him. You're not obligated to forgive any person that does not repent. We hear today all this automatic forgiving of serial killers. That is not scriptural. God said, I will take vengeance on them. We leave it to God. If God does not forgive it, how can we forgive it? So if you study the overall scripture, if a Christian does not forgive another Christian and he sincerely repents, you'd have nothing to do to put him out. Christ considers him worse. See, you've evaluated So we can rebuke. And if Christians would rebuke and correct, they wouldn't carry bitterness and unforgiveness. A lot of times we do things we forget about years later. But self-centered people don't forget. But we're not required to forgive the sinner or any Christian who does not repent and acknowledge they're wrong because the Spirit himself will not deal with it. So we need to rightly handle the Word of God and not be putting guilt trips on people who think they're supposed to forgive the devil himself, which they're not to. God said every idle word. He said, I will avenge. He will let nothing slip his holiness. That which is not repented of and forgiven and in Christ, the day of judgment, he's going to come against it and holiness and wrath and there's going to be everlasting punishment for every sin. So that is the unique holiness of God that does not change. Paul said Christ saves us, hides us, keeps us from the wrath of God. So it is coming to those who do not come to Christ Jesus. Okay, So we're to deal with them and rebuke them and correct them. Admonish means a strong warning. Rebuke means you come against them. You don't have to be pleasant about it. You can be sharp when it's necessary. You can be angry. It says just don't let it carry on for several days. When you're disciplining your kids and your teenagers, there's anger sometimes. And the child has to see you're not pleased with him. And there are consequences for not being obedient. Okay? And then he says we're to help weak people, uh, simple-minded, those who are slow or have problems. He said, show patience toward everybody, even the enemies. We're not quick to go after them or look at their sins. That's God's business. We're to show long-suffering and kindness. Jesus said the Father's good to the evil and unthankful. He doesn't strike them dead when they sin. He lets them live out their life in general. He lets them, he warned the Jews, Paul, you store up wrath, your stubbornness and willfulness, and you've not repented. They think they're getting away with it. He says, no, you're storing up wrath. It means everything you do and keep doing, when grace is finished, you could be punished for it. So those who are given great grace will come under great judgment. That's justice there. God can be gracious and extend grace to anybody. But in justice, he's going to hold them accountable if they don't respond to it properly. And that's what Peter said. It's better not to have known the Lord 
than to depart from him. The backslider will receive a greater punishment than the normal sinner because he's trampled the blood of Christ more than once, okay? He's despised the spirit of grace, okay? Then we're told do not retaliate, don't take vengeance on any. That's God's place to do that, okay? We're talking about the outsider now. Don't do it. We leave it alone. He says give place to wrath. That means you let God handle it when he's ready. And after his long suffering is finished in their life or in the next life, he'll take care of it. Vengeance will come into Vengeance is a part of wrath and justice. So when people look at vengeance as being wrong, it's not with God. See, because it's not personal, it's not petty peeves or likes or dislikes. It's based on holiness and truth. And that's why he will avenge anything that speaks or comes against that. He is a holy God. So anyway, never are we to retaliate or show vengeance on a true Christian. We're really not to do it, but you put yourself in a dangerous position. Then the Lord would say, why are you trying to pull the splinter out of someone's eye when you have a log in your own? He considers it hypocrisy. But see, that's because people love themselves too much and they haven't gone to the cross. and They're too preoccupied with their feelings and what people think about them because they're arrogant and proud and they're deceived. They're under the power of the devil. Okay? So we also, as a Christian, when we bear things, we must suffer for righteousness' sake. Doesn't mean we have to be beat up by people every day. To resist the flesh, the world, and the devil, to resist temptation is suffering for righteousness' sake. To keep the Lord's will rather than our own and go on our own way, we're suffering for righteousness. And God expects that. The Lord must be obeyed at all cost. All cost to our own will and our own desires. Okay? We're not our own, we're bought with a price. So God, we know, he gives us the one who walks in the Lord and daily keeps accounts with him. He gives grace for each day. He gives grace that all evil he will handle, and we're given grace that we can handle it. He said he'll not allow us to be tested above what we're able. So he'll either deliver us in it or out of it. A lot of times he wants us to be disciplined. He wants us to be trained, and he permits the suffering and the conflict. As when he preached the gospel immediately, Paul said, through much tribulation, we enter the kingdom. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer conflict. So that is a part of us being a Christian, so we need to learn that, okay? That's a part of bearing the name of a true Christian. We're not talking about the majority of people we live around think they're Christians. They have tradition and religion. They have no personal walk with the Lord. He is not their Lord as far as obeying him, and they're not led of the Spirit. Therefore, they're not his, regardless of their verbal confessions and what they believe. It counts for nothing.
Okay. Then we're told to look out for one another, the brethren, sister and in the Lord. Be kind to enemies and sinners is what he means to. For God said, again, as I said, the father's kind to the evil and unthankful. But his kindness will not extend forever. When grace has run its course, he shuts the door. And if death doesn't do it, God can do it. Uh So grace and love and loving kindness doesn't go on. Holiness and justice demands that it doesn't. And God does not lay aside his attributes. He's loving, uh, loving kindness, long-suffering, patient, but he's also holiness, justice, and wrath and vengeance because of his holiness. And he does not desire to be anything else. He is who he is. So he tells us who he is and what he expects from those who follow him. Okay, so grace, long-suffering, and goodwill will take the lead. They should be the foundation and not the end. They should be part of the beginning and the Christian walk, okay? And like I say, when God's finished testing us, then sometime he goes after the enemy or he stores up and says, he can wait, it'll never be forgotten. Every idle word that a wicked man speaks, he will answer for the day of judgment. Every good deed that a Christian does, especially to another Christian, the least was considered giving him a cup of water, offering, today it would be offering him coffee or something minor. He said, God does not forget it. He's remembering this. See, justice remembers both sides. Even Hebrews said it'd be unjust. He said, for God to forget the kindness and goodness you've shown toward the saints. He considers it unjust. So whatever we do in Christ's name, we are rewarded for because we've done it in his name and with the help of his spirit. It's not separated from Christ. So we need to remember that. So God's justice and wrath and vengeance uh, will be displayed when grace has run its course, every word, every deed, because his holiness and justice demand it. He cannot do otherwise, and he does not desire to do otherwise. He is complete in himself, and he likes his nature. And who he is is who he is. So he's made that known to us. So in 16, it says rejoice always. This means continual. Joy is part of the kingdom of God. Joy, peace, and righteousness. So they should be there to some degree in any Christian's afflictions and tribulations. They can be there when there's sorrow. They can be there when there's unhappiness for the Christian. They can be there when they're suffering. So we need to see that. It's not dependent on the outward world. It's dependent on the spirit of Christ living in us and the reasons. He gives us peace because we're not sinning against him. We're following him. So our conscience is at peace. The joy, for we know uh, what we are, who we are, and he has an eternity for us 
in the greatest bliss and joy. So no matter how complicated and hard it may be at times, we'll remember these things. And you don't hear much about righteousness, but John and Paul talk about practical righteousness. So you can claim Christianity all you want. You can claim his grace and his faith, but if it isn't working through you, it doesn't work and it's worthless. So that's the hypocrisy and the deception of the once saved, always saved, thinking they're saved regardless because of God's grace. It is not taught. That's despising God's grace. And you'll answer more for misrepresenting him. So if a person's going to be in the kingdom of God, they have to live a righteous life. And that simply means be good, goodwill toward people. We know what good and evil is. It's basically our conscience tells us. So even John says, if you live righteously, then you won't be ashamed or disappointed when the Lord returns. Because if you're not living right, you're not going. And that's why Paul could say, if you practice these things, and he named 18, 20, he says, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. He doesn't get into theology there. People trying to say, what is the least I can do to be saved? Well, you're already on your way out, see, because you're looking for loopholes. You're trying to find the line which reveals an evil heart. You have no desire. The new man in Christ has new desires. Oh, we still have to deal with the old that has, but we do have a desire to live right if we're true Christians. If we just want to escape hell and we fear God, that's no proof of Christianity. When a person is caught and tried of the world, he has remorse. He's sorry he got caught and he's going to be punished, but he didn't repent. See, he didn't have no desire to really change. He's just sorry he got caught. And if he was freed, he'd go out and do the same things. The repentant person tries to conform and do better with God's grace. So it reveals the hot attitude that the non-Christian basically doesn't have. So he will have remorse, and he'll have remorse in hell, but there's still no repentance. Therefore, he's continually judged under God's holiness. Okay? So joy can override sorrow and unhappiness and troubles. It can coexist with them. In a sense, happiness of the world cannot. That's why Jesus said, you find your life, you'll lose it. To find your life is to be happy and get what you want. But it's self-oriented. It's not God-oriented. It's not wanting to do good and serve the Lord. It wants to find itself. And Jesus said, if you gain the whole world, lose your soul, what does it profit you? And some people live and have a wonderful life, and they don't have any afflictions. And I've heard them say, oh, I don't know how much better heaven going to be. Well, they're going to find out they're not going there. They're going to find their happiness here. And it depends on what happens. So with the Christian, the joy is consistent. It may be at various levels, but it's still there. If you know that you're right with the Lord, then you'll be righteous and have peace with the Lord. That's basically what the kingdom is. Okay, so Paul suffered probably more than most of the other apostles, but he was graced for it. He said, I was given more grace. 
and therefore he could do things that he did not do in the natural. And he suffered great afflictions and persecutions and sufferings, and that was a part of his stake in the flesh. He wanted it to go away, and the Lord said, my strength is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. What is this grace? It's not unmerited favor. That's all I ever hear about. These people don't know scripture. He explains. He says, my grace is sufficient for my strength is made perfect or complete. He calls grace strength. It's an ability to endure or to do something. So if you don't have that, all of God's favor and good thoughts isn't going to help you. Because God has goodwill even toward the sinner, and he wishes them to repent, but it's not going to save them. He does not believe for them, and he does not repent for them. The Spirit helps in everything spiritual, but he doesn't do everything. That's the fallacy of the greasy grace people. It's all God. You don't find that in Scripture. You're under probation, and you have to prove loyalty and faithfulness to the end of your life or you'll not make it into the next kingdom, okay? We've not arrived, as some people think. So we go to Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul speaking. Rejoice in the Lord again always. He says it both. Continual. And again I say rejoice. He reminds you. So in all of his afflictions and sufferings, he still rejoiced, and he said, I'll bear all of these things that I may know Christ deeper. He was willing to put up with a lot of this that he could know Christ in a deeper way, and that's what he did. So he said, I'll bear these infirmities. A stake in the flesh was not a thorn in the flesh. It was if you had a huge piece of wood driven in your side, so it's always a reminder that it's there. No matter what you do, well, people know what a toothache is, and they know what an earache is, so you could compare if you had that all the time, and yet God gave grace that it would not override his working in the Christian. So he gives grace where it's needed. He gives more strength where it's needed. So the enemy, at the most in this world, can destroy the body. He cannot touch the spirit soul to the one who's in fellowship with Christ. He can attack, he can afflict, he can do certain things. But his spirit soul, that's the Christian's personality. That's you. They're not separated as far as being you. They're separated as far as their function. But the spirit and the soul either go to heaven together or they go to hell together. They're not separated. Like the greasy grace people think your spirit never sins. That was the Nicolaitans. They figured you could live like you wanted to and commit fornication and do anything else with your soul and body. Well, Jesus said, I hate that doctrine and I will destroy her children. Her children are her followers. So those who believe they have a license to sin and act accordingly, he said, I'll destroy them. Where? In hell. They'll have eternal destruction for misrepresenting God and not accepting the proper grace 
that the scripture teaches. Okay? Paul warned about those having grace given to them in vain. It means it didn't work or it stopped working because you did something. So you're held responsible. So when the enemy, the Old Testament says, when the enemy comes in like a flood, and it meant an army, God's spirit will raise a standard or a wall to match it. So whatever he attacks with, the Lord matches him. And that's why he says he'll not allow you to be tested above what you're able. Well, a lot of times we give up and a lot less, but God knows the limit and he doesn't let it go beyond that for the one who's following him. Now, if you're making provision for the flesh and you're sinning, that scripture does not apply. You'll go down in defeat, okay? So we have grace sufficient for each day, and there's a joy there that we must know we will spend eternity with Christ and God. This is eternal life. Whatever else heaven is, everything else is secondary. We're going to know God as the angels know him, and it appears they know him in his fullness all the time. They behold the face, the full revelation that they were made for in God's presence. They may not be interested much in anybody else. We don't know all of these things. But people think heaven is often what they want heaven to be on earth. We're going to be changed creatures. So we're going to be like angels. So there's going to be something far beyond this little world that we live in now. Okay. 517, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. This is not vain chanting or repetition just to be heard. Some religions, they have the prayer wheel and they write prayers on it. And as the monks are reading and eating, he keeps spinning this wheel. And every time it goes around a few times a, a second or so, they think that goes up. They must have a stupid God. And they think, oh, every one of those, they, they don't mean that's making a mockery out of God. He says he doesn't hear that kind of speaking. He said, when people talk and pray, they don't hear their prayers. So if you don't focus, don't give lip service. You sit in church sometimes around people, and they'll say the Lord's Prayer, and everybody's saying it, and some people are reading a book, and some people are thinking about, you know, their mind's not even on what they're saying. That's what it means, vain. You're not focused properly. That does not move God. Much speaking does not move God. But there is travailing prayer and supplication, and there is repeating at various times, but it's from the spirit and the soul. It's not just lip service. The Lord told those in Isaiah's time, he says, you worship me with your lips. You speak good. He said, but your heart's far from me. So in other words, I'm not hearing what you say. Okay. So remember what we do when we pray without ceasing. We're remembering Christ and our walk and all the daily activities we have to do. We often cannot focus on one thing like that. But we have a moments when we're aware that we are God's and he's there and he's watching everything. And we 
can think and throw up prayers without verbally saying them. So that's a part of communion. So that's praying constantly or without ceasing. And we remember that he hears and sees, and he wants what's best for us spiritually. And that's not always what the Christian wants. He's too preoccupied with earthly things. And when the Lord said, be content with such things as you have, well, many Christians or professing Christians, they do a few deeds and then they want God to give them all these things. That's not worshiping and that's covetousness, not being content with the lot where you're at. And if God does not change it, you should not seek to change it. Don't remove or plant yourself unless the Lord's in it. Some people think because they make more money or better, it must be God. No, it may not be God. It may cause you to backslide and turn from the Lord. He knows each individual. And Paul warned, you that would be rich fall into many lusts that drown men in hell. That was a warning against most Christians having money. They cannot have that because they squander it on their own pleasures and worldliness. And they call it prosperity today, but it's nothing but materialism. And they're not going to make it into the kingdom. Because he said, this kind of thing, this covetousness and greed and wanting more and more and more, he called it covetousness. And he said, it's idolatry. And you know that no idolatry, now Paul said this, no idolatry shall enter the kingdom of heaven. So a lot of these so-called faith and prosperity, people need to start thinking about that. And then they may not end up in the lake of fire one day. Okay, verse 18. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you and Christ Jesus. He's one with him. Remember, Jesus is the eternal Father. He's the everlasting Father. He's one with the Father. One in unity. One in, they never do anything separately. They're not three gods, but they do deal in a way we don't understand. But in every ministry and every work, there's credit given to the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Okay? So it's only through Christ we have proper standing with the Father. We could not have him as the Father without Christ. So he's shown us the way that we have to go. And as Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. And no man can do it without the Spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of the Father, and he's the Spirit of the Son. And Men try to divide too much sometimes, and they speak of things they don't really understand, so they need to leave it alone, okay? It's not to be examined scientifically. Okay, so he wants us to be thankful in all circumstances. This doesn't mean we enjoy evil or something, but he's saying in every situation, God can cause good to come out of it when it's over or the testing's done, he said he'll cause all things to work together for good. We get rewarded for it. We get a better understanding of God. A lot depends on it. So Job, not even knowing there was a devil, when all the troubles started coming on him and his wife 
has said some nasty things. She said, curse God and die. He said, you're a foolish woman. He said, shall we not receive good and evil from the Lord? Without even knowing the devil, he attributed everything is coming through God's hands or by God's permission. And that's how the Christian should accept things. Evil temptation to sin is not from God. It's from the lower nature. It's from the devil. But God wants us to respond to it and overcome it. If we don't overcome and endure, we will not make it into the next kingdom. We are being tested, and our loyalty is here and now. So we are under a probation. And you read the seven churches, he gives promises only to those who overcome, not to those who believe, to those who overcome. That's what he's talking about, okay? So he will use these things to test us, to mature us, to do his purposes in this world of evil that we live in. So remember Jesus said when he was in the garden, knowing what was going to happen, the father had told him he was going to be the sacrifice. And his natural man did not want to go that way. He asked the father, he said, if there's any way, remove this cup from me. And the father let him know there was no other way if we're going to redeem man. And so he said, shall I refuse the cup that the Father has given me. The cup is the lot, the portion that we're given. So sometimes the Lord leads us into various temptations, but we're prepared for them. When we say the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation, that means don't lead us into something we're not graced for or something that you're not in. You make provision for the flesh and play with sin, then you get yourself in your own trouble, and the Lord doesn't give any help. So we are asking, Lord, make sure you're going to give me grace if I'm going to go into this, okay? And that's what it means. He wants us to be victorious and overcome and whatever is thrown against us. And that's why Paul said, put on the whole armor of God. He names all of the armor, having done all to stand. It means when the fight's over and the battle's over, you're standing. The devil hasn't defeated you. But you have to use the weapons that he gives with the help of the Lord or it will not be done. See, everybody thinks it's all God. No, it's not. God gives grace, but if you don't use grace, it will not work. Okay. 19. Do not quench the spirit. Quench the spirit. Okay. It means do not hate despise or refuse the prophetic word. And like I said, any teaching that's based on God's word is prophetic. It speaks the mind of God and his will. And if it's inspired for the moment, it has a greater value and a greater consequences. So if the spirit's moving and he's convicting, people cannot basically be saved until they come under conviction. And conviction is by the spirit of prophecy. It moves them. It's not an intellectual thing alone. It disturbs them. His spirit disturbs their spirit. Uh -huh. And that means it's inspired that God's acting in the moment. 
So when people speak certain utterances, whether it's a prophetic word directly, God is lifting it out of context and magnifying it. But we can study the Word of God all the time, and it always gives us instructions and enlightens the mind. And it gives us things that when the Spirit does move in an extraordinary way, we bring up. He said he'll bring to your remembrance. He'll place the Scripture in the prop. But if you don't study Scripture and you don't rightly handle it, he's not going to be able to give you certain things. See, he doesn't override man's will, man's capacity to learn. He requires the use of that. When people say, well, I couldn't help, yes, you can. Only people under demonic control speak when they're in seances or false prophecies. They're overwhelmed, and they don't know what they said because it's a demon controlling them. God never controls a person that way. The spirit of prophets are subject to prophet. It means when he gives them something to speak, he don't grab their mouth and make them speak. They can evaluate. They can consider proper timing. And sometimes they refuse, and the Lord corrects them later. But they're not ever forced or overwhelmed that way. They're inspired and stirred up. But he doesn't take the will and act separately or override it. We're always responsible to the Lord for everything we do. In and out of the Spirit, we are held accountable, or there could be no judgments of any kind if we were not responsible. Okay, so do not quench the Spirit. That is to put the fire out, is basically throwing water on the fire. It's to fight or refuse the Spirit's dealings. People do that a lot of times, not aware they're doing it. They get hard and grievous at times because they don't like being disciplined. They don't like being corrected. People don't like correction. The old nature don't like it. It despises correction. So the Christian has to remind himself, if you despise it, Proverbs says you court death. If you will not take correction, if you will not deal with your sins, if you're not willing to confess sins that everybody else knows, and you're arrogant, you'll not enter the kingdom of heaven. Willful and stubbornness will keep you out of the kingdom, don't matter who you are. So we are to submit to the Spirit's dealing when he decides to correct us. Hebrews says the correction of the Lord is grievous. It means it causes pain. It means it's not pleasant. Like you spank a child or you discipline a teenager by taking all their things away and make them sit in their room all It's grievous to them. They can't go their way. They can't do what they want because it's confining them so they will consider what they've done. And it's displeasing to the Lord. Let's take a break here. <laughs> 